The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's U.S. Open. Joining me to break it all down, Sia Najad is here. Sia, happy National Championship Week. Happy National Championship Week. We were just talking about how it's just really cool that like pricing comes out early and we get to sort of finagle our lineups and see where we want to go, where we think everybody else is going to go. Obviously, we're going to talk about that on this show but I'm I'm really excited with the pricing, this pool, the national open. It's all good. Can't wait. Third major championship. So we've got two under our belts, two to go. It feels like we've been in a sprint for quite some time and another big payday for those who finish at the top of the board. So if you are listening to this, make sure to go down to the description. Click the link for the fan one and done and make sure you get your best pick in for this week. Over $3 million to the winner, which will certainly go a long way for any of us and for whoever ends up hoisting that trophy on Sunday. And see, uh, you know, we got to zoom out a little bit here because a lot of times at a major championship, the golf course becomes the star of the show. And while we talk through LACC, which is a phenomenal place, I'll share my screen. We've got some flyover stuff. We've got some uh, course key stats modeling that we can do. But how are you starting to break down and assess this golf course and then relate that to players that we think are going to have a, have a good week at it? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a bit of an unknown. I mean, I, I know as each day goes by, we, we get a little bit more information and we we have a general understanding of what the, the construct of this course is. But I personally am looking for players who have kind of everything in the bag. I mean, that's what we expect with the major championship, especially uh, the U.S. Open. We're expecting length off the tee in terms of like what might be necessary. I think there might be some argument there between, you know, whether or not you, you really need to be long here. Uh, but that's certainly what I'm gunning for. I'm looking at off the tee in this tournament, in this U.S. Open, more than I have in quite some time. So it's something I'm definitely taking a look at. I, of course, I'm looking at a lot of the global stats that we can see on uh, rickrungood.com, like the weighted tee to green stuff. I'm very much interested in, of course, weighted approach and things of that nature as well. So, yeah, I'm looking for some length off the tee. I'm looking for the all-around game because I do think it will be tough. I mean, the green complexes in particular look like they're going to be tough to, to land. And that's part of the reason I'm looking for length off the tee. So you get those shorter irons in because I do think those green complexes will be tricky in terms of keeping the ball on the green. 
Yeah, I think what is um, most interesting about the off the tee play around LACC, first off, it's a, it's a George Thomas design. He, he did Riviera, he did, he did Bel Air. I mean, this is, um, it's unbelievable. And they did this restoration a couple of years ago. The, you know, the fairways are wide, but they are effectively much smaller because of the way it cambers and the way that it angles. And if you're on, I don't want to say the wrong side, but if you're on the the not ideal side of the fairway, uh, you could have a lot of blind shots to to green. So there is kind of this connection between off the tee and approach play that I think doesn't show up at a lot of other places as strongly as it's going to show up here at LACC. And there's just a lot of commitment that you're going to have to make to these shots. There's just a lot of like blind shots. And um, some of the features are, are really only unique to LA Sia because it's, it's built on this Canyon. I, I just, I'm not sure there's a lot of, I have a couple in mind, but I'm not sure there's a lot of super strong comps for LACC. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. I'm I'm kind of going in a little blind, w- w- sort of without the comps, because I, I don't want to kind of. And Rick, I'd be curious to see where where your comps are, but I, I don't want to go in with a comp and then just kind of lend it too much credence. So I'm just trying to take a look at what this course has to offer. And, and by the way, you mentioned something about you know you could be in the fairway and you know you're thinking your guy's going to you know have something kind of nice in on approach in terms of like have a good shot to stick it. And, and it just might not happen because of some of the angles that you might deprive yourself of if you were on the, in the wrong part of the fairway. And that, for the record, is another thing I'm looking at, um, greens and regulation. Like, I do want to check that out. And, and, and there are some players that really flash with greens and regulation in terms of guys I like for this tournament. I think it's got a little bit of Riviera in it. I think it's got a little bit of Shinnecock in it. I think it's got, um, you know, the Barranca on the front nine is something you'll hear about all week. It's this, it's this drive riverbed that, that kind of goes, uh, and, and weaves itself in and out of the, the front nine. I think that reminds me a little bit of the Creek at Oak Hill. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, Kiowa, where if you're kind of in the hard pan at Kiowa, you're just, you're just kind of at the mercy of whatever you get, right? It might run for a while. You might be in a footprint. You might get a good lie. I think that's kind of the way the Barranca is going to play as well. I did also whip up. So um, this is my website. We'll show you my website, rickrungood.com here. Um, The course key stats model, which uh, see when I have to do this for major championships without any history, I have to get a little bit creative and I have to um, put my hand in it a little more than I would like. So what I did is I, I took some pieces of, this golf course, other USGA setups, some GPS measurements, um, some insights that we're getting from the grounds, things like that. And, and it ends up working out to a model that, as you can imagine, is 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 pretty heavy off the tee, pretty heavy from tee to green. I mean, these USGA setups, um, I don't think there's going to be as much thick rough around like fairways. I think that's going to come into play more around the greens, but it's going to be a firm, fast test on the West Coast, which I'm stoked about. Absolutely. And, and I actually like what I'm seeing in terms of these uh, correlated stats to success, because, you know, like I said earlier, off the tee is something I'm going to be looking at driving distance, which, of course, is correlated with that. Something I'm going to be looking at uh, stroke skin T to green weighted T to green is something I've been looking at all season um, to my benefit uh, around the green play. You know, I have that sort of for me, I, I have that sort of baked into the weighted T to green. And typically I'm not looking at it separately unless I'm just trying to make sure I fade out the guys that are really, really bad. But um, that certainly makes sense that you might want to take a second look at around the green here. But honestly, all these stats that seem to be correlated um, with this course, uh, LACC, uh, they make a lot of sense to me. 
the one thing I'll also kind of point out is, you know, for a long time, you know, in the, in the year leading up to a major championship, especially at a new venue, you get a lot of like narratives and you get a lot of like, Oh, well, Colin Morikawa is a West coast guy. He's a California mm-hmm. guy. And, uh, Patrick Cantlay and, and Max Homa is one in California. It's just like, yes, I will. I will. Um, there, there's going to be two two kind of distinct features. First off, you've got Bermuda grass around this place and then the greens are bent, which, you know, it's not that Poana that you, you see a lot on the West coast where you hear the arguments that, Oh, well, Max home is just better on, on Mm -hmm. than anybody in the world. Right. So yeah, maybe Max home has a great week. Yeah. Maybe Colin Morikawa has a great week, but I do want to caution people from just making that uh, very easy connection, which might not necessarily be super true. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's a com- like it's a completely different sort of setup when it comes to the grass and the greens and things of that nature. So, yeah, they, they, they might still benefit from being out here and being comfortable and being somewhat even maybe even somewhat more familiar um, with this bent grass, for example, than, than some of the others that are that are traveling. Uh, but at the same time, it's for me, it's not something I'm looking at. All right. Well, let's start naming some names and trying to figure out where we can best spend our funds. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, They've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there. And I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now here's what you can do for for our listeners. Uh, First time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. Here's the cheat sheet. Five golfers over $10,000 led by two over 11,000. That's Scotty Shuffler at 11.4. John Rahm at 11.1. Then you get Brooks Kepka 10.8. Patrick Cantlay, 10.3. And Victor Hovland at $10,000. So this is the cream of the crop here, Sia. What do we need to do to start making some decisions? Well, I mean, it, this is really tough because all of you can make a really solid argument for all of these guys. And that's what we typically say in this 10K range. I, I think maybe one thing you want to consider is even before you take your first guy, how do you want your roster? What do you want your roster to look like? Um, I think if you're 
making lineups like right away without maybe, maybe before you did your research, you saw the pricing was out. You're probably going to grab a 10K guy. You'll probably default to a 9K guy. And then you, you might get an 8K guy, but you might in that upper 7K range, which will be a big topic of conversation for this show, you might grab a couple of those. And then what, what that'll leave you is around like $7,200, $7,300, and, you, and you'll have to live in that low 7K range. So I just from a roster construction standpoint, just consider that it's very likely that that's the roster construction of a lot of people. But with all of that said, we can get to that later. I don't know how to distinguish these guys. I don't want to like, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to thrust any hate over to Scotty Scheffler, but, but for me, I'm probably not really super interested in playing him after seeing what his putter has been doing over the last two tournaments. And just kind of this year, it's been a, a really up and down. I like Brooks Kepka. I wonder if the Brooks Kepka price is, is a little too high, but I mean, obviously he's been really great too. Patrick Cantley is really great. Uh, for me, I have a top three. It's John Rahm, it's Brooks Kepka, and it's Patrick Cantley. But to be honest with you, there's really no great. I do have a reason for stamping out Scotty Scheffler, but I, I'm not even sure it's a great reason. It's just kind of like, you know, a small sample size of what I've seen with the putter. And then with Hovland, I just think maybe he's priced a little bit too high. Um, so that's that. That's how I'm looking at it. Rom Brooks and Cantlin. Okay. Um, there's a lot here. So Scotty Scheffler, uh, who is the most expensive golfer, has lost basically 13 strokes putting in his last two starts. Now that... <laughs> believe it or not, uh, has resulted in two third place finishes, which is just absolutely bonkers. He's averaging like 15 strokes from T to green in his last 10. Like it's, it's stupid. Good. It, it's stupid. Good. I'm, I'm still on board with this, right? I, I, I think it's hard to watch. I think that there's clearly something mental going on. Honestly, uh, when he's, when he, I mean, I watched him hit like a four footer that didn't come within 18 inches of the hole, right? Like it, it, it's bad. Uh, but the fact that he's been able to separate that aspect of his game and I'd almost argue, and maybe it can, I'm not sure it can get worse. Right. So, so I think that there's a path to him just losing like one stroke putting and he wins the golf tournament. Um, mm -hmm. so I think that's kind of interesting. Kepka, I think is fascinating from like a game theory perspective because, We've got uh, a runner-up finish and a win at the first two major championships. And really, for the most part, the general public, Sia, they only get to play Brooks four times a year. And now with a massive price increase, right? So he was 7600 at the Masters. He was $10,100 at the PGA Championship. He's back in that $10,000 range here at the U.S. Open. Is this where people just play Brooks because they don't get a lot of opportunities to play Brooks? And it inflates it even, even more than it should. I mean, he's been phenomenal, but even more than it should. Yeah, I'd say yes, except for the fact that 10800 is still really expensive. So, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think you're right that what you just said is going to put a little bit more ownership on them. But, you know, I, I wonder what you think what, what in terms of what the ownership will be across this 10K board, because I agree with you. A lot of people are certainly going to like Scotty Scheffler here. Of course, they're certainly going to like uh, John Rahm, but a little less so. And then I, I just wonder what happens with Brooks and Cantley, because they're definitely going to pick up ownership. I wonder if Hovland ends up being somehow the odd man out here from an ownership standpoint. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right about Brooks. People want to play him. People want to get a piece of Brooks Kepka, And it makes a lot of sense because he just keeps showing up. Every time we see him, he keeps showing up. I don't know. It, it is tough because 
you know, the two guys at the bottom there, Cantlay and Victor, I mean, uh, in terms of just raw popularity, Victor is more popular. He's coming off a win. He's got three straight top seven finishes at major championships and he's cheaper. I don't know if there's a path to Victor being less owned than Cantlay or am I assessing that incorrectly? I think you might be assessing it incorrectly. And, and, and I think it might be close, but I think people still believe that Patrick Cantlay is is a, a just a better like a better all-around golfer than Victor Hovland. And honestly, if you look if you're focused on all three stuff, they're they're both really good, but I'd like to actually contrast and compare because Cantley rates out so well off the tee for me. And because that's something I'm also looking at, um, I gotta think he has the edge there as well. I mean, last 36 rounds, and this obviously includes, you know, a win for Victor. I mean, Patrick's better off the tee by uh, about a quarter of a stroke. He's a little bit better on approach. He's better around the green. He's a slightly worse putter, but they're both positive putters. I mean, it is fair that Patrick Cantlay, like he is a better all-around player than Victor Hovland is. Um, I actually am pretty much on board with like, like I think, <laughs> I think there's a really good chance that one of these guys and throw Xander Shoffley in the mix, like, like a first, they get their first major championship, right? Like Cantlay, yeah. Victor, and Xander are trending in a way and set up so well for LACC that I would not be surprised if any of them get their first major championship this week. So it, it is a fascinating range. Um, I'm still very much like, listen, I'm going to play Scotty. I think I will probably end up not getting to Brooks because I would rather go down to Cantlay, Hovland. I'll get a little bit of a discount. I'll have a little bit more wiggle room, which kind of leaves me with John Rahm as the guy that, unfortunately, just by the nature of my builds, I will probably be underweight on him, yeah. which is pretty scary, I'll admit, but I can't I can't play all these guys. Well, so, but but here's the thing, and this is part of the reason I like Rom, and I probably should have led with that when I mentioned his name. I think he's going to have, uh, you know, it's hard to say a significant um, less ownership, but I, I really have a feeling people are just going to go up to Scotty or they're going to come down to Brooks, Cantlay, Hovland, or start their line. Like they could even start their lineups with Rory and or Xander, what, what, which we'll get to in a second. But I have a feeling that Rom's going to enjoy a lower ownership than than a lot of these guys. I think it's going to be surprising to a lot of people. Okay. Well, I mean, we will know uh, as the week goes on, especially because price comes out so early, kind of what what the what the projected ownership looks like. Um, takes us down to the nine k range here. So this is obviously full of big boppers because it is a major championship. Roy McIlroy ninety nine hundred, Xander Shoffley ninety six, Max Homa, Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth, Matt Fitzpatrick, Cameron Smith. So I have already kind of alluded to who I think my favorite in this range is. It's it's probably Xander. We can talk about mm -hmm. him, but there's um there's a couple other guys that I think we need to we need to consider here. Yeah, I mean the one that obviously jumps out to everybody is Roy McIlroy. He's not in the ten k range, which is. Pretty crazy, but but I kind of get it at the same time. So it's just kind of seeing that it, it's pretty staggering, and I think a lot of people are going to want to just scoop that up. I think Xander is going to be popular too. In fact, I think those two are probably going to be among the most popular in the 9K range. I do like Rory. I like how he's trending. Um, obviously, good at the RBC. He was he was good in, in the previous two tournaments where he seemed disappointing to everybody, but it was like back-to-back seventh-place finishes. So, I mean, Rory McIlroy on this course makes a lot of sense to me. If he's super popular, I'm happy to fade him because I'm not a guy that plays Rory that much anyway. Um, I like I like Xander Shoffley as well. I don't like the 9K range as much as I typically mm. do. I, I think I'm willing to kind of pass over a lot of these kind of bigger names like Colin Morikawa, the, the back spasms thing that, that – 
that just bothers me just enough for me to probably lay off. And, and I think people will play him. Uh, Cameron Smith is interesting to me at 9,000 because it's such a cheap price. And no, he's not necessarily like the best guy off the tee, but given there's such an unknown with this course around the green, it play is going to be a factor. Maybe it's more of a positional course that, that I'm leading on. And if so, I, I think Cameron Smith uh, might be at 9,000 might be a tremendous value. Interesting. The two, the two that I lean. So I've already kind of mentioned it. Xander, um, I guess because he doesn't have a major championship win, it, it's it's kind of hard to realize how good he's been at major championships. I mean, he's got uh, what eight or eight or nine majors in which he has gained ten or more strokes to the field. His four best are all U.S. Opens. I mean, he loves a good USGA setup. Uh, just doesn't have the win yet. But if you start looking at the way that he's playing coming in, you know, you want to talk about well-rounded elite golfers like a Patrick Cantlay throw, throw Xander Shoffley's name into the mix as well. The ball striking numbers are, are, are top notch. The putters there, like everything's there for Xander. The other one that I'm interested in uh, is Jordan speed. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because LACC is probably one of the better U S open venues that Spieth could get. Um, it's it, a lot of this, a lot is going to be played on the ground this week, where your ball lands in the fairway, how it cambers, how it angles, where your ball is actually going to end up uh, similar around a lot of these greens. And it's going to be pretty firm from what I, from what I gather. Uh, Jordan Spieth's like the most creative golfer in the world. The other thing is he's playing good golf. I mean, he's driving it without being Bryson DeChambeau off the tee to gain four and a half strokes at the Memorial off the tee, to gain 5.7 at the PGA championship. That is, that is with deadly accuracy. Um, so I, I think getting him, like, even if you wanted to start, even if you wanted to start Xander Jordan, I don't know what that leaves you, but like, I'm in on that. Well, Xander Jordan leaves you way more than you think. I'll, I'll tell you this. If you started R Rory, Cam Smith, Jordan Spieth, it still leaves you with 7,300. So, I mean, and again, don't get caught up in the, in the prices, right? Cause you could, you could put Rory up to like 10,500 if you want to. I mean, he's, he's obviously normally in that 10 K range. We don't exactly know the golfer that Cameron Smith is, but if he was on the PGA tour these last, this last year, you know, maybe he's 9,700. So this is a tournament where, especially at the top, I don't know that you should really get caught up with the pricing, but what, what was the scenario you just, you said Xander and Spieth. What does that leave you? Was that your question? Yeah, what does it leave you? It leaves you with 7,800. And that's great, right? And it leaves you with an opportunity to really, really, if you wanted to, go back into the 9K range or grab a couple guys in the 8K range, uh, two guys maybe in the 8K range, which maybe not a lot of people are going to do. And then you can settle, at that point, you'll probably have to settle in the low 7K range, which isn't great when you look at the high 7K range but is kind of great when you consider there's so many people that are going to live there. Again, the high 7K range, we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. And by the way, there's some 6K guys I really like. This is going to be a fascinating tournament. Yeah, if we, re if we rewind six months, I think um, some of the more popular options for this week would have been Colin Morikawa and Max Homa, $9,300, $9,400 respectively. Uh, mm -hmm. Just kind of comparing them here on, on YouTube, if you're watching, last 36 rounds, they've both been good, not great what is kind of the state of the union on these two and what's the pathway to you investing in them in a dfs format yeah i don't think i'm going there with either of these two guys and it's not necessarily because i i hate either of them i mean homa can really flash i mean we're looking at his his stats lately they, they i mean this does look 
uh, shout out to Greg Ducharme. This does look a little pale, if not bad. And I just wonder, yeah, of course he can flash. And he has two top tens over his last three. That's great. But I just don't know that I want to pay that much when I can just go down to the low 9K range or the high 9K range and get like a Rory, for example, or get, to your point, a Spieth. I just don't know that I want to invest in home. As far as, far as Colin, we know it's it's the putter that, that has really let him down this year. But you, you add the whole back spasms thing. Like I am such like a, like a, a wimp when it comes to the assessing the injuries. Like I just don't want to deal with the idea of like, hey, I don't know how much practice he's got in. I don't know how confident he is in the back. I don't know if he's a potential withdrawal. Like these are back spasms, so they're probably not that big of a deal. But because I just don't know that, I don't know that I'm willing to invest in Colin. Now, if I'm doing 10 or 15 lineups and I know nobody's buying in on Colin, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll throw in a couple, a lineup or two maybe. But if I'm just doing like five lineups, I just don't think he's going to be in there for me. Also worth noting, Max Homa's major championship record is not good. And yikes! I will, you know, listen, he hasn't played a ton of them. He has gotten a lot better every year statistically, and maybe this is variance, but his last four, no better than a T43, and he missed the cut at the Open Championship. His best finish was that 13th at the PGA in 2020. That's his only top 40. I, I mean, it's just really not it's shockingly bad is what it is. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll see. I mean, I guess you have bad results until you, until you don't. Um, the 8K range and then beyond uh, still offers a lot of really good names. We're going to continue this conversation and then do a little bit of fun and games at the end. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And we're back. The $8,000 range. Terrell Hatton, Tony Finau, Justin Thomas, Hideki Matsuyama, Shane Lowry, Sung J.M., Dustin Johnson, Sam Burns, Jason Day, Cam Young. I think you said something earlier, Sia, like I don't think anybody's going to take two guys out of this range or at least, you know, a, a small percentage. Tend to agree, right? A lot, lot yeah. more question marks here than there were anywhere else. And then even the argument being that once you get to the 7K, you can make a lot more cases for guys because they're cheaper. It, it, this is a very awkward set of names. 
There's a couple things work at, you're right. Awkward set of names is, is actually kind of how I would have phrased that too. I mean, I, there's a couple things working against the 8K range. First of all, the the upper 7K range, which I'm just going to all list some names. Tommy Fleetwood, Corey Connors, Justin Rose, Bryson, Ricky Fowler. That, that's just a handful of the names. That, and there's, there's many more that you could choose and, and be somewhat confident with. So not only are they cheaper, but there's so many names in the 7K range, particularly 7,500 to 7,900, that... There may not be, and we'll have to wait for the initial part of ownership, there may not be a super huge worry that you're going to have like an extremely chalky guy in that upper 7K range because there are so many good options. So I think with those two things kind of working um, for each other, I don't know that people are just going to, they're not going to want to invest in that 8K range. But again, that's all the more reason, you mentioned game theory earlier, that's all the more reason to maybe have some lineups with a couple of these 8K guys and maybe some 8K guys that like people don't want to play right now like jason day for example at 8100 he's dealing speaking of injuries he's dealing with a, a bone bruise that I, I think he still has it and he hasn't been good over his last couple of tournaments but we know he has the upside we know when he's playing well he's great he should be good on this course so maybe that's something to monitor but i don't think a lot of people are going to invest in jason day cut Terrell hatton at, go ahead cut win cut cut last four for j day is like the scariest thing in the world a hundred percent so imagine what and, and knowing that he's like potentially still shaking off an injury imagine what his ownership is going to be knowing that there's five or six guys that most people would have more confidence in that are 300 400 500 less like he's just not going to get it like listen i'm not suggesting I, I rick i'm with you i don't like this 8k range and i'm not suggesting i'm going to play a lot of this 8k range but i just think from a game theory standpoint there's a couple guys in here that you might want to play and Hatton, I think, is interesting because I think he's just expensive enough for people not to want to play him. You got Jordan Spieth at 9,200. You got Cameron Smith at 9,000. You've got you've got guys that are maybe in the upper 7K range or the low 8K range, that, or even like a Tony Fee now in the upper 8K range, where you might say, "Oh, I, I want to take this guy over Hatton." And honestly, Hatton's been good, consistently hitting good finishes, rates out well, weighted off the tee, weighted tee to green, greens in regulation. He checks all those boxes. Yeah, he's been great. Um, the other one that I'm I'm pretty like I have not heard the mention of Tony Finau's name basically at all. And and this mm. is also kind of another weird situation where first off, he hasn't even played all that much, right? We haven't seen him since the Charles Schwab challenge. He missed the cut, he lost four strokes putting there. I'm worried about the putter. Um, you know, he's he's hemorrhaged strokes on the greens after making a pretty significant improvement there. But we're four starts removed from a win. Um, he's got power, he's got accuracy, he's got a decent enough short game. I think, I think the question really just is, what is that putter going to do? And after kind of a really hot start to his career in major championships, it, it hasn't been as good lately. So I, I don't know. I think, I think this is the type of risk I'm willing to take. I think it is a risk, but someone like a female who's super talented, who's won recently, Maybe he, I mean, just don't lose five strokes putting and see where he see where he winds up for the week. Yeah, I, Tony Finau is a really interesting case. I wonder what the ownership is going to be because anytime a guy like Tony Finau, Justin Thomas is right below him, and it's a little different story on JT right now than it might be for Tony in terms of sort of perception. But anytime Tony Finau is like upper 8K, lower 9K, like in those major situations, people usually gravitate to him. I wonder if that's going to happen this particular tournament because it just hasn't been great for Tony Finau over the last handful. And you mentioned the major tournaments. Like, listen, he has that rap about him. Or I should say that rep about him. Uh, when it comes to when the field gets stronger, does Tony Finau wilt? And, and again, we'll see if that actually ends up coming true over the next year or two or continues to be true. But 
I'm kind of on board with that one. So I, I'm not super interested in playing Fina. Here's JT's stat profile. What is the consensus around Justin Thomas right now? Coming off a miscut at the Memorial, T65 at the PGA, a couple of top 25 finishes prior to that. Well, I think the consensus is he's been cheap for the last four or five tournaments, like really cheap, like eye-popping, like 8,900, 8,700, 9,000, whatever it's been. And people have been like, well, I got to take JT. Like the win equity is, is too much. But he's not really he's not really showing up in terms of like those people who are rostering him in DFS. He's been largely a, like a big disappointment at that price. And so I, I think the perception about him, I think a lot of people are just kind of done with it. Like I think if it's between JT and Tony Finau, which I think a lot of people will be between those two, I think people will just defer to Tony Finau because they're less frustrated with Tony Finau. Uh, Justin Thomas at $8,700 is the cheapest he's ever been, or at least since I've been tracking, which is about four years or so. So uh, JT certainly in a bit of uncharted territory. I mean, is there like, is there any way Sam Burns moves the needle? Sung Jay, maybe saw, we saw signs of life from Sung Jay recently. Dustin Johnson, Dustin, how about Dustin Johnson? Yeah. So two of those guys do move the needle for me a little bit and believe it or not, it's, the most consistent one of those three that I'm not interested in playing. And that's Sung JM. I, I like, and, I, and I'm talking kind of like long-term consistency when it comes to him. I, I'm not super interested in what I've seen from him. And honestly, I just sort of question the upside where is if you pivot to Sam Burns and Dustin Johnson, especially in Sam Burns case, I'll, I'll have a couple shares of Sam Burns. And hopefully that'll mean I'll be a, a little overweight, but I, I don't mind Sam Burns. He can crush it off the tee. He can be dialed in on approach. He can get hot with the putter. Uh, I think he's I think he's a fine play and I don't think a lot of people are going to play him. DJ maybe even less so. I think he's on live. He hasn't really flashed. He's been okay. And when we saw him at the PGA Championship, he wasn't very good. And I just think it's it's I, I'm not interested in playing him and I but I don't think his ownership is going to be high either for whatever that's worth. That very stacked packed $7,000 range starts with Tommy Fleetwood, Corey Connors, Tom Kim, Joaquin Neiman. The middle of it includes names like Ricky Fowler, Wyndham Clark, Abe Answer. The bottom of it is a roundup of Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, Eric Cole, Austin Eckro. So that's a pretty significant gap or, or range of names that we are talking about here in the seven, Sia. Where do you want to attack this first? This is so tough. There's so many good guys. I, I almost like, no joke, I have like 10 guys that I want to talk about, which is ridiculous. That's an entire show. So I think I'm going to start with a few. And then maybe you can tell me some 7K guys you like and whoever was sort of left out, we can go from there. Sure. I'll, I'll start with some obvious ones. Um, Tommy Fleetwood. I mean, other than the Charles Schwab challenge, I mean, which was a, a big hiccup for him. He's been amazing across the board. The strokes game metrics are so impressive. He does. He can really do it all. In uh, in the global stats, weighted tee to green, greens regulation, as you might expect, those are really good too. Corey Connors is another one still kind of getting a discount on Corey Connors. I think at 7,800, I think the watch out for him is that he's really hit or miss with the finishing positions in spite of the fact that the, the metrics have been like pretty great. He's like absolutely crushing it, ball striking and in the short game, isn't too far behind for him. Uh, the one other guy I'll mention before you go is Justin Rose. I mean, 7,700 Justin Rose. I, that That's certainly a value to me. I think you could have put him at 8,300 at this point. Yeah. 
he's he's a little short off the tee that 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 he does so he doesn't check that box in terms of distance but every other box he definitely checks and i think those are three guys that are going to be a popular especially because the pricing came out early and and having good weeks in uh in canada are are going to be guys that might be a little bit more popular and for and for good reason because they're probably mispriced and just grabbing one guy that might be a little bit mispriced opens up a lot of interesting doors for you i i think listen we have to start saying it like you know like Wyndham clark is a top 13 player on the like very very good he missed the cut the pga championship right after his win outside of that he is having an unbelievable 2023 he's got distance he's got accuracy he's got precision he's got a good short game he's got the ability to catch a hot putter like i love this guy and to hang him at 7500 dollars um is pretty crazy to me so someone that has my full attention right there is Wyndham clark i i think we should also consider um how popular and and if he's a good play would be would be ricky fowler here mm-hmm. so coming off of uh back-to-back top 10 finishes you know he missed the cut at the pga but he missed the cut on the number again outside of that that's his only missed cut this year and he's been a top 20 machine i don't know if ricky has the upside to win this golf tournament i'm not sure if he needs it in the mid seven thousand dollar range but he has been believe it or not one of the more consistent players on the on the tour this year 100%. I mean, the PGA Championship, his only slip-up, he's been on a toward stretch since March. I mean, it's literally been three months where Ricky Fowler's been, if not the old Ricky Fowler, maybe showing signs of like even a more improved player than the old Ricky Fowler. And I think he's due to win. Again, I don't know if it's going to be this tournament to your point. What's really interesting, though, is that between him and Wyndham Clark, like good news for you, Rick. I, and, and you know, I'm a big Wyndham Clark fan too, but I don't think he's going to get a lot of ownership. It's impossible for him to get a lot of ownership because you have Ricky Fowler, you have Rose, you have Connors, you have guys below that that 7,500 range, which we'll talk about in a second. And don't forget Bryson DeChambeau, who was decent at the Masters. He was great at the PGA Championship, has been very good on live. He's showing very consistent high upside form, and he certainly checks the boxes that we think need to be checked. Off the tee, approach, tee to green. It's all good for Bryson. So again, it kind of goes back to that, that high 7K range where it's like, Maybe there'll be one or two like really chalky guys, but how chalky can they be? There's so much to choose from here. The PGA Championship was incredible for Bryce. He gained 11 strokes ball striking. Then he followed it up with a top 10 at Live DC. The other one would be, so another Live guy is, is Mito. Um, we don't have a lot of, so Mito Pereira, we don't have a ton of data on him, but like his first two majors, he's gained 7.8 and 9.5 strokes ball striking. He's got a, a handful more top tens on live as well. We don't have the advanced metrics for those, but I mean, this is a guy that should have won a major championship last year. Should have, mm-hmm. um, and did not. And he's still playing really good golf, even if it's not on our TVs every single week. And when we are seeing him at majors, uh, he's doing like the elite skill set that we would want from him. He is $7,200. So, Mito's got my attention. Where else are we going here? Yeah, I love Mito. He was definitely one of my guys as well. So I'm glad you said him. And I honestly, I think he's going to get some attention because we've seen what he's done at, at, at the, the, the majors. I mean, 18th at the PGA Championship. And, and it's different when you assess a guy like Mito versus, let's say, you know, his, his countryman, uh, Joaquin Neiman, or, or even like, let's say, a Dustin Johnson. Like those guys haven't necessarily returned to the form that we recall but the, what they were in before sort of live broke off. Mito Pereira clearly has. I mean, he's done it you know, obviously at the majors, but he's also done it on live. So I think Mito is going to catch some some steam for sure. But, I, you know, it's it's totally justified. I like him at 7,200, but a pivot or two. So 
I have, I think, three pivots off of Mido. Not that he's going to be like the only chalky guy. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying like some guys that aren't going to get much attention and one guy that might get a bunch of attention. I'm just going to mention their names. And Rick, you tell me if you like any of these guys. Denny McCarthy at 7,200. I will say of the four names I'm about to mention, he is he is the most high risk in my opinion. But his finishing positions just this entire year have been really, really good. He shows up at venues like this. Um, Siwoo Kim, insane ball striking numbers. Been a slight loser with the putter um, pretty consistently, but insane ball striking numbers. Weighted tee to green, off the tee approach. It's all good. Two other names. Austin Eckroat. You mentioned him a few minutes ago when you were just kind of going through this range. I, I wonder how good Austin Eckroat is. I, I don't know. And maybe this is the tournament where he can really prove himself as a, as a guy, but he's gained ball striking in five in a row, gained with the putter in four out of five, around the green, kind of a 50-50 proposition, T30 at the Memorial, T16 at the Charles Schwab Challenge, uh, a T2 at Byron Nelson. Like I'm cherry picking some tournaments here, but he's also made five cuts in a row. And then the last guy I'll mention is Russell Henley. I mean, he's he's been really good lately. Great finishing positions uh, and just great golf altogether. Yeah, Russell Henley kind of doing the Russell Henley stuff, but he's putting better than a lot of people would probably realize. I think that that is a very sneaky little guy there because you're not. I don't think there's going to be a lot of love for Russell Henley. I mean, we're, we've rolled through so many of these names yeah. that it's easy to forget Russell Henley. The one I'll go back to is Denny. Um, so a couple of things here. I, I've I see an elite putter, which we knew, but a guy that's getting better everywhere else. And he is also not going to necessarily be punished for his lack of distance this week. I actually think that, um, I don't think distance is super important. Obviously it's like, if you're going to hit a wedge instead of an eight iron into a green short, no problem. But positioning yourself on the correct side of the fairway, I think is going to bridge the gap a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. from the long hitters to the to the short hitters and his finishes this year in all of these elevated events i mean t14 at riv t13 at the players uh t25 at the rbc heritage t8 at the wells fargo he almost won the memorial got into a playoff with with victor hovland so like the dude the dude's doing it and he's doing it every single week so that's the one that certainly stands out to me because of uh now a at least six months of, of really good form and really good, really good results. I'm curious if he had won the Memorial, mm -hmm. like let's assume Victor Hovland didn't make that putt on 17 and he just, you know, Hovland wilted a little bit because Denny McCarthy was really good down the stretch. He just wasn't as good as Victor Hovland. I'm just curious, a thought experiment here. <laughs> what do you think his price would be if he won the Memorial? 7,700? Yeah, I was going to say he has to be like much closer to $8,000, right? Yeah. I just I just think because that would be the last, you know, the last tournament that he played, you won an elevated event. And I feel like even like when Kurt Kitayama won the API, I feel like he got like an, an immediate whatever bump, 800 bucks or whatever it was. I think you'd almost have to, um, you'd have to run him out there at like 7,900 bucks. Exactly. Like 78, right where maybe where Corey Connors is at 7,800, I think is probably a sweet spot if he had won the Memorial. And I just think it's really interesting to consider that. And I'm not necessarily saying Denny's like the best play. And I think his ownership will be relatively low because of all these other guys we've talked about. But, you know, when you look at pricing, I think you really have to like step back a little bit and try to understand like why these guys are priced the way they are. A guy can finish second place and play well for, for four rounds and he's he's 500 or $600 less than maybe he should be. And the reverse is true for guys that are maybe priced up because they've won a, a tournament and maybe they sh they really actually belong, you know, 700 or $600 cheaper. So I think that's just sort of my global message in terms of saying, 
don't get caught up in the pricing. Don't get caught up in the tiers. Like, don't like, oh, I got to grab a 9K guy and okay, I have, I have one 10K guy. So now what, what do I need to do? Like, just try, do your best to sort of disregard that and just build a good lineup. Everybody else is in that $6,000 range at the top. Boy, how about Hayden Buckley? How about Carson Young? How about Adam Hadwin or Taylor Pendrith? The middle, that would be the likes of Sam Bennett, Nico Echevarria, Sam Stevens. The bottom, the min-priced golfers include Alex Yang, Barclay Brown, a little bit higher than that. Let's see, uh, Michael Thorbjornson. So we've got some options if you need to get down to this range, Sia. Uh, where are the best uses of our funds? So there's five guys so far that I like. And one, two of them should be obvious to anybody who watches this show. So I'll get those out of the way right now. Carson Young and Dylan Wu. Yeah, there you go. Carson Young and Dylan Wu. We talk about them every show. They're constantly disrespected from a price standpoint. Now, this is a different sort of tournament, a different beast. So I'm not going to suggest necessarily that they're disrespected here. But Carson Young, gaining ball striking five in a row, gaining with the putter five in a row, super consistent on approach. I mean, he's just been very good. Dylan Wu, the same thing. Just the finishing positions are are sort of the proof, you know? Like sometimes the metrics are okay when the finishing positions are amazing. When it's consistent like that, I think at 6,400, Dylan Wu's a, a pretty great bargain. Now, the other three guys that are going to be names that, you know, maybe a couple people will say, but but not going to be super popular. I'll start with Jordan Smith. Uh, this is kind of an out there one for me. You know, he's he's been actually pretty good on the world tour, barely missed the cut at the PGA Championship. And he had a, he had a bad tournament at the KLM, KLM Open. But otherwise, he's been very impressive on the world tour. Um, I think he had sixth place finishes at the Honda Championship, the Porsche European Open. Otherwise, just solid. I, I think the, the off the tee game is pretty solid with Jordan Smith as well. Speaking of off the tee, Patrick Rogers, another guy at 6,900. The question for him is if he can put the whole game together. Because if he can... There's upside. Usually he'll be great off the tee and like kind of bad on approach or the opposite might be true. But when those things can get married, he's got a great short game. And I, I honestly think he could. I'm not a Patrick Rogers guy, but I think he could show up in this tournament. And then the last guy you mentioned him, Sam Stevens. I just think he has a ton of upside off the tee. Uh, the issue is he loses with the putter more often than not. But he's popped with the putter, too. I mean, if we go back, you know, a few months, we, we have seen tournaments where he's really like gained five strokes with the putter or at least a couple strokes with the putter. The Farmers, AT&T, Byron Nelson, Valero. Um, I think he's interesting. He is really more crash and burn than the other guys I mentioned. But I think he has upside. I will likely do my best to not be here. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, I, you know, I think there's a path to me like betting guys in the 10 K range and using them in one and done, and then building a lot more lineups that start in the nine K range and not necessarily having to go this far, like that nine, eight kind of situation where you can get a bunch of win equity, but also be a little bit different because I don't think that eight K range is going to be super popular. Mm -hmm. uh, however, if I'm here, you, you mentioned a couple of them. I think Carson young, uh, Dylan Wu, uh, the other one would be Sam Bennett, who I'm willing to run back out there. We saw him. I mean, he's just a talented golfer now, a professional get, gets back out there. We saw him make a run at the masters for a bit. And then the, the other one, uh, that certainly jumps top of mind is Hayden Buckley. And this is kind mm -hmm. of just like a pure skill set thing. Um, Buckley is whether you like it or not, like one of the best drivers on, on the planet. And he can sometimes follow that up with, elite second shot play. The, the problem is going to be a hundred percent of the time he hemorrhages strokes around the greens and half the time he hemorrhages strokes on the greens. So we are looking for him to basically offset 
his losses around the green with gains on the green. If he does that, great. I like that. That's the math problem for him. It's basically this one right here at the RBC Heritage or even the Valero. You lose a ton around the green, but you gain enough to override it with the putter, and then you do what you normally do in the ball striking categories. That's the path. So there's a reason he's $6,900 instead of $9,900 because he doesn't do it as, as often as we would like, but that specific type of skill set and uh, defined path to the top of the board I think is interesting. Yeah, I like it. Another name that I wonder if you think is interesting, I think he is also kind of a, a crash and burn type uh, guy where, or I shouldn't say crash and burn, but but has like the potential to crash and burn, but also the potential to finish like T12 is uh, Kurt Kitayama. Any thoughts on him? Man, uh, it has not been pretty for Kurt as of late. Um, so he's losing strokes off the tee in like five or six straight. This is kind of a tough profile, I'll be honest with you. You know, yeah, the off the tee game's not there for sure. You're right. Yeah, I, I like the... I, I, so what I like about Kurt is, um, like when things are get tough, he's usually pretty good. You know, PGA championship match play API, yada, yada, yada. I played well in Phoenix as well, but this is a stat profile that does not provide a lot of confidence. He's he's basically all over the place everywhere and yeah. he needs to gain like eight strokes on approach and not give back six with the putter. I, I just, I think this is a pretty tough stat profile to, to invest in. And I think it's only his, how many, Oh no, he's played a lot more majors than I, than I thought he has T four at the PGA championship by far his best finish. But, um, wow. Yeah. I thought he was going to play a lot, a lot fewer than that. So yeah, this is probably not me having a lot of Kurt Kitayama ownership. Yeah, I get it. I, and honestly, I don't think I'm going to play him either. I was just, I was kind of on the fence with him. I wasn't sure uh, if you liked him, I probably would have given him a, a second look. Gordon Sargent. We'll see if anybody can, um, get that train going again this week. He's going to hit it a mile, but I don't know if he's going to do anything other than that. He played well in the qualifier, but yeah. Okay. Any, anything or anyone else in this six K range? I don't think so. I mean, Stuart sink was somebody that I considered before I looked at the research and then I kind of just ended up ruling him out, but he's, he's one of those guys that maybe, uh, maybe for like showdown purposes in the first round or something, he's, he's a guy that can flash, but he's off my list. Okay. Well, with that said, uh, let us suspend logic and reason and go through our strokes gain narrative lineups for this week. This is the opportunity to submit any narrative you want, create a lineup out of it and get it read on the show. Josh, thank you kindly. So here we go. Seb says we're back in LA. So why don't we do some TV shows that are based in the city of angels? I already have a beef with this. First of all, it says Gray's Anatony Finau, which is a great, that's a great pun. Gray's Anatomy is not in LA. It's in Seattle, isn't it? Oh, I didn't watch Gray's Anatomy, so I, I can't answer not, that but question. I thought everybody knew that. Gray's <laughs> Anatomy setting. Seattle. I, right. I mean, do we just disqualify Seb from this fake thing that we do? <laughs> well, you know, this is, I think this is Seb's first shot at this. So we're going to give him, we're going to give him a pass on this. I think maybe when he said based in the city of angels, maybe he was just saying like, he was using that loosely, like, ah, it's like a Hollywood thing. Yeah. Maybe he meant like, ah, it's on TV. So it's Hollywood. <laughs> All right, maybe Mel Rose place, Justin Rose. Okay. We're back on track. Nice. We're back on track. Uh, Beverly Hills, which could be, uh, according to Seb Minwoo or KH, 
Lee, whichever Lee that we want. Yeah. Let's go Minwoo there. Let's go Minwoo. What about Brian Harmon? I think what about Brian is a show. It is. It was like ran for like a very obscure reference here, Seth, but I think it ran for a couple of years in, in 2006 timeframe. That is a American, according to Wikipedia, an American comedy drama television series created by Dana Stevens and co-produced by J.J. Abrams. Isn't J.J. Abrams on the tour? No, J.J. Abrams is like the uh, like uh, Lord of the Rings guy, isn't he? Yeah, probably. Ben Carpoolers. Carpoolers is a show. Ben Carr is in the field. And Charlie Hoffman's Angels. All right, Seb, we are back on track. Well done. Oh, my God, Ryan. Ryan the Fantasy Bunker says, Gaspar de Portola was the explorer who discovered Beverly Hills. There you go. Here are a few other, as we do, famous explorers. Sure, sure. Why not? Min Wu Ponce de Leon. Pretty good. Uh, um, J. Don Quixote Poston. Nice. I didn't think I was going to get there. Samuel de Champlain Burns. Keith Ferdinand Michelin. That one's pretty good. That is good. Bryson D. Sham, Bilbo Baggins. Sure. And John Vasco de Rama. John Rama. So that, by the way, Ryan, that's great. And th these were, these needed to be submitted uh, early this week. So um, we didn't get as many as normal, but uh, thanks for Seb and Ryan uh, jumping in here. But I, I think, uh, I think Josh has something to say to support Seb with respect to Gray's Anatony Finau. What are your uh, thoughts on that? Well, he says that the hospital that Gray's is filmed at is in LA. Well, no kidding. The, the, the X that whatever is filmed at is in LA. I guess, but I mean, well, I, that's, that's a like good, saying, that's like saying the office is an LA show. Cause they film in LA, not a Scranton show. Yeah. So the problem with Seb really is he said based if he hadn't used the word based, he might have been okay. He might have been able to get away with it. Yeah, he should have said, we're back in LA, so why not do some TV shows from the City of yes. Angels? Well, uh, well there's, there's, there's one lawyer on this show, but it, it sounds like there might be two. Uh, Rick with the semantics. You're right, of course. So, Seb, you're just going to have to do better next week. But yeah. uh being technically correct is the best way of being correct. But no, it said they were very good and uh, appreciated. Yes, we are boots on the ground this week. So the schedule was a little bit different, but we're still planning on uh, Tuesday's Mega Preview Pod, same time, I believe. I don't know when Kyle gets to LA, but we will uh, figure out a place probably from the media center. And yeah, we'll, we'll be out there rocking coverage all week long from the City of Angels. How about that? Nice way cool. to bring it back. All right. Big thanks. Producer Josh does all the hard work behind the scenes. See an Ajad available on Twitter at see an Ajad. You can find me at Rick run. Good. This has been the first cut. We'll catch you next time.
Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.